Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve Podcast, where the sexaholic or sex addict can find experience, strength, and hope from those that have traveled this road ahead of us. This episode is produced in the spirit of the 12th step to carry the message to other sexaholics. Every effort has been made to remove full names of the speakers in these recordings. This is done in order to follow the 11th tradition regarding anonymity at the level of press, radio, television, and film. This podcast is self-supporting through contributions. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and would like to support The Daily Reprieve, please do so by going to GoFundMe.com, search for The Daily Reprieve, and click on Donate Now. Without further ado, please enjoy today's Daily Reprieve. My name is Paul, and I am the moderator of this panel, and our and panelists include Marsha from Nashville, and Sarah from Atlanta, and Kathy from Louisville, Kentucky. Thank you. Uh, Each will share their story for seven minutes on the topic, and then we will open the meeting for discussion. Uh, So, let's see. Okay. Oh, and then uh, we'll open the panel, and uh, y'all can ask questions or uh, come up and uh, give shares. So, uh, I'll, I'll okay, Sarah, Sarah. Hi, I'm Sarah, sexaholic. Sarah. Sarah. Um, I want to start by sharing my experience um, as a woman in SA. My first experience with SA was at an international convention that was here in Atlanta. Um, there were a lot of women SA there, but most of them were, um, well, all of them were from somewhere else. So um, I did meet other women and People in the Atlanta area introduced me to women um, from Nashville and other places, but um, predominantly from Nashville. Um, after the convention, I decided to stay in SA. I wanted what they had. Uh, I was um, amazed and inspired by my experience there. So uh, I went to a meeting, which was um, the most likely meeting to work with my schedule long term. I thought this would probably be the meeting that I would go to. Uh, I can remember... Uh, going to this Methodist church. It was on the second floor. Um, these, you know, big cinder block walls. And, um, there was a, I found the room number. There was, um, a window in the door and I walked past and I looked and I could see, um, uh, a circle of all men, um, with a few empty chairs. Um, I had already a sponsor from the convention. So I immediately called my sponsor I remember just saying, uh, it's all men, and my sponsor was a, well, um, what are they doing? <laughs> I was like, well, they're reading from a book. I think it's the big book. <laughs> and my sponsor asked, well, um, I mean, I think you're going to regret it if you don't go in. And I said, you're right. You're totally right. Uh, my sponsor suggested, you know, praying if I feel like I need some courage, which I did do. Uh, and then I went in and, uh, I sat, um, I sat in the most emptiest area of the circle <laughs> in the middle of some empty chairs. And I, um, pretty much examined their shoes the whole time. And for several weeks after that, there was one guy with really flary shoes, orange or plaid, or, you know, that was made it uh, the meeting a little more interesting for me. <laughs> um, so it was awkward. It was, it was pretty awkward. And I am not a person that has ever been uncomfortable around men. I'm a sex addict. I am uncomfortable around predominantly women. <laughs> um, but this, but the meeting, um, I, I heard a lot of, um, good experience in recovery and I could, I knew I could relate with these people in the room. They, um, were much like me. Um, as time went on, I, I gave away my first step there, and I think that was my real beginning of feeling a part of in that group. And I didn't really have to look at their shoes after that. I was, I was, I was in. I was a part of them, and they accepted me, and it was amazing. So, 
Um, there really weren't any other women in Atlanta area at that time that went regularly. There were some that went occasionally, and I could find them occasionally, but that was it. Um, then along came, um, I mean, there, then along came a woman, uh, maybe I should not say her name for anonymity, but, uh, she came to my home group. I met with her. I became her sponsor. We were very close. Then there were a few more. Um, then there were a few more. And, um, I've been in essay now. That convention was five years ago this January. So I've been in essay for five years. And, um, there is a handful of women now that regularly attend essay. And it's really amazing. Um, I've had, uh, for the most part, like when I first came to essay, I thought, okay, I can't go to a meeting with sex addicts by myself. I'm a woman, you know, that, <laughs> that's not going to work. Uh, but what I found is they are predominantly seeking recovery. Recovery. Most of them are, have some recovery. They want, they are looking for recovery. They're not looking for, um, I don't know. Most of them don't look at me sideways. However, over the five years, I have had some pretty sideways comments or some just really off-color remarks. And um, I, I have a pretty thick skin. Um, I want to tell you how um, some things have affected me, good and bad. Um, like the first um, group that I went to where I shared my first step, um, it was amazing. They were very friendly to me. They were not overly friendly, which I appreciated at the time, um, but they did welcome me. They did speak to me after the meeting. They approached me. They said, welcome. Um, they definitely welcomed me in a friendly way, and I... I really, really appreciate that because it probably saved my life. Um, I have had some, like I said, off-color remarks. You know, people make mistakes. We don't, we're awkward around each other sometimes or we say stupid things. I say stupid things so I can forgive other people who say stupid things. And, um, but I have, I do know of some things that, that, that are across the board really, pretty hurtful to a woman in SA. And I, I want to share an experience. Um, I also have the women's phone line for the whole Atlanta area. So I, I see a lot of newcomer women and I try to meet them at meetings or invite them to my meetings. So this one time, uh, this woman came and she had already had some sexual sobriety. She had had a spiritual experience with like a pastor at her church, I think. And uh, so she had the spiritual experience, but she was looking for others. She was looking for fellowship and essay. And um, the only meeting that worked for her schedule, she worked very early in the morning. She wanted to be like kind of in for the night by eight o'clock. So none of the evening meetings worked for her. The meeting she, w she went to was the Saturday morning meeting. And I'm sure if any of you have been there, you know, it's a very big meeting with almost always all men. Um, so I made an effort to go there. I mean, I had to get up so early, get a babysitter for all my kids, leave an hour early. It's an hour drive from my house. Um, you know, pay a babysitter for like four to five hours, you know, and then get back. I mean, it was a big ordeal for me to get there. And other women met her there too. There was two other women that came besides me. We met her at this meeting and she, um, so a couple things happened. One, she um, accepted a one-year chip at the meeting, and it was her first time. And I think um, I could—I felt like it, I could see that it was ruffling some feathers um, when she stood up and took the one-year chip. But she also shared, and what she shared was amazing. She had a wonderful spiritual experience, and she—I mean, she identified with us. She was, she should have been able to be a part of us, except that after the meeting, <laughs> a man approached her, an essay man approached her, and he was um, chairman of the intergroup at the time that he said this to her. And he, he went up to her and he told her that um, the outfit she had chosen was not appropriate to wear to our meetings. Um, and I mean, he said a few other things like we don't typically take a one-year chip when we first come in. And 
the way that the chairs are set up is that they're in rows, and she was, it's actually kind of a, a semicircle, and so she was over here, and she had walked to the back, and I was kind of in the front, and I remember feeling like I was like hurtling the chairs, trying to get to her, because I could see the look on her face, and when I got there, it was too late, and um, I could just barely hear him saying about how her outfit was probably not appropriate to be at the meeting. And she said, you know what? I'm never coming back here. And I just felt so sad inside. I said, please don't let this be, you know, your only experience with our program. Like, don't listen to him. Like, you don't, you don't need to listen to him. And she had, you know, shared that in her experience, she had had a lot of negative self-talk and, you know, I call it negative self-talk. She called it the shitty committee. And she said that, no, what, what I'm hearing now sounds to me like the shitty committee and I've got to stay away from that. And she never came back. And that is not the only time that I've seen a woman never come back because of what someone has said to her. And, um, I think the, the way that, um, women sex addicts dress when they are, you know, lonely and desperate and broken and, and they finally feel like coming to their first meeting. I mean, let's face it, it's likely that their entire wardrobe is designed to attract the attention of men. You know, they can't really go shopping before. Like, that's not gonna, when you're finally desperate enough to show up, um, I mean, buying a new sweater probably isn't going to be, like, something that's really going to happen. And um, I have also had the opportunity to sponsor women, and I do talk to women about their dress, but I don't talk to them about it right away. Um, I more or less talk to them how I feel about dressing to come to essay meetings and what I do. And unless I think it's a huge problem, I don't make very specific um, suggestions. But... I feel like I will if I need to. And I, I really feel like um, talking to a woman about how she's dressed really needs to be left up to her sponsor. Um, I also feel like I've had a um, good many years of being kind of belligerent, kind of um, a confrontational person. And now I have the opportunity to show love and tolerance for other people. Um, men aren't always nice to me at meetings. And I mean, even a few women, like it, it's not perfect, you know, but this is an opportunity for me to show love and tolerance for others. And I really, really think that newcomer women deserve love and tolerance as much as anyone else. Um, I do want to share a, uh, another experience I had with a newcomer that was really positive. Um, one newcomer woman, she's here today. Um, I invited her to come to my home group and she did. They don't always they're not always able to come to my meeting, so I would try to meet them at any meeting, but she did happen to come to my home group. Um, and she was not in a good place, as really no one is when they first come to SA, of course. Um, she was, like, visibly upset, shaken, unhappy, desperate. I mean, I'm sure you can imagine. Um, she refused to take the 24-hour chip. She said that she knew that she would not be able to not call her acting out partner within 24 hours, so she didn't feel right about taking the 24-hour chip. And after the meeting, one of our um, group members, um, an SA man, approached her, and he said to her, he said that, um, like I might not have this word for word, but basically he said that on his first meeting, um, he was really feeling bad, and a member approached him and told him um, that it gets better. And he just wanted to tell her that it really does get better. And <laughs> she just stopped for a second. <laughs> and it was just so nice, you know. I just feel like it was such a nice gesture. It was friendly. It was short. It wasn't. It wasn't anything inappropriate. It was just friendly and from the heart, you know, it would definitely came from his heart. And I think that's how we should treat all people. I don't think women should be treated differently. I think we should, you know, treat all essay newcomers, you know, with kindness. Um, I know people were kind to me and I wasn't really a very nice person back then. And so I, I am willing to show kindness to others. 
um, even if they're not dressed how I think they should be, or even if they aren't very nice people, or even if they're confrontational or belligerent. So I wanted to um, also just show this card. We have this card in Atlanta area. It is for newcomer women. Um, we have a women's meeting. It essentially invites them to our women's meeting. It welcomes them to our program. Um, our women's meeting is not a women's only meeting. We invite men to speak at our meeting on, on speaker meeting nights. Um, men are welcome to show up at our meeting, which a few have, um, and we welcome that. But it is a meeting for women to fellowship with one another, so we invite all women to come. Um, this is a card that should be in... Um, in the folder of all our meetings. And we've also, uh, uh, some other women and I designed a little like pocket. It's like a pencil pocket. It fits in a three ring binder and it's clear. It's pink, but it's clear. And inside we have, um, made a script. It's very simple. It just says if you have a newcomer woman to read the script and hand them the card. Don't really have to think too hard about that. You can just read the script, what it says. It says, welcome to our meeting, welcome to our fellowship. Um, I mean, I can't remember exactly what it says, but it just basically welcomes them, says we're glad you're here, and this card is an invitation to our women's meeting. And it also has a phone number contact for me and an email contact for another woman essay. So this is an idea I want to give to any out-of-towners who might not you know, have a good way of welcoming women or sometimes find an awkward situation. Um, you know, I don't have a copy of the pencil case, but it just has a few of these cards in it and a very simple script, welcoming women. Thanks. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks. I don't know if you timed me or not. Was I over? Yes. Oh. <laughs> she set the precedent, so here I go. Um, my name is Kathy. I'm a sexaholic, Kathy, and uh, my sobriety date is June 5th, 05. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, I go attend meetings in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, we have, um, there are three meetings a week in that general area, and I live in a small town called Shelbyville, so it's about a 30-minute drive to go to meetings. Um, when I initially came into recovery, it was not in this fellowship. It was another one. And I took, I was desperate. I was really afraid of dying. And I, uh, had what part of brought me to my bottom was I'd gotten involved with the internet and then phone sex lines. And, uh, my God has a sense of humor and I was on this line and I was talking to this man and we hadn't acted out. And it turns out he was in relapse from his program and he was a mental health worker, and he told me that I was really sick and that I needed help, and he gave me an 800 number to reach out for S recovery. And I did, and then it took some time in my area to find uh, a meeting and be 12-stepped into it. That was the way that they did things. And um, I just lost my job as a result of my disease because I wasn't sleeping. I was staying up all night and, and uh, like, literally, like, forcing myself off the phone at, like, 6 in the morning and trying to jump in the shower and get to work, and I was so chronically tardy that that I was let go. I had just received an award the month before, and then a month later I'm sitting in HR and we're crying together because they had to fire me. And so <clears throat> when I finally was able to get to a meeting, um, I was so desperate to be there, and I had just gotten off the phone from acting out, and then at a stoplight on the way there I was flirting with somebody at the traffic light, and then I walked into, it was a noon Friday meeting, and when I walked in, there may be, I don't know, I remember very little about it other than I finally found this, and I was desperate. And there were maybe 12 or so men in there, and the entire meeting, I just stared at the table and the floor because I just was, um, I didn't have words for it then, but I was freshly in, in, immersed in lust, and I just, um, I just, I was desperate and I was ashamed. And so I began to participate in that fellowship, went to several meetings and got um, uh, a sponsor. And I had great fellowships after the Friday night meeting. I would go out with people and we'd go to the restaurant. And those were huge meetings. There were 40, 50 people. And generally there was anywhere from one to five women, probably on average, really maybe two. And I met a couple of women there, but mainly I interacted with men. And, um, <clears throat> 
I reached a point of, of um, I felt accepted. I had a couple of negative experiences. I remember one time I was in so much pain. Actually, it was the last meeting I ever went to there. Um, I was in a tremendous amount of pain, and I was crying, and I just couldn't. And this man got angry and, like, banged on the table and, you know, like, called me out in front of everybody and, you know, I deserve to be heard and, you know, kind of how dare you sit there and cry. And, and uh, it, it was paralyzing. I'd had a lot of trauma in my life, and it, it was just paralyzing. And I had been praying about, I felt like I'd reached a plateau. I'd participated with my sponsor, and I'd gotten in a step study group that kind of blew apart at the fourth step. And uh, I was like, I'm having great fellowship, but I don't feel like I'm growing. And I'd stopped some things, but it was also a case of you got to decide what was okay for you. And, you know, as an addict, I, you know, manipulated that a lot. So I met someone and found out about SA, and that SA was also in Louisville and was much smaller fellowship. And I remember my first meeting walking in there that it was in the evening time, it was dark. I went to this church I'd never been into and walked down this hall, and someone had told me to look for this, you know, they gave me a name of somebody who would probably be there. And when I wa- I came to this room that I was told was going to be at, there's one guy in there, and we both have that whole deer-in-the-headlight look because, like, I'm like, is, like, he the guy? Is this the meeting? And he's probably thinking, oh, my God, who is she? there's nobody else in the building, you know, and so I had my white book, and I just kind of held it up as my, you know, my password or something. I don't know. It's like, hey! And uh, and I know, you know, this person told me to come here, and so we had a meeting, the two of us, and uh, it was kind of awkward, especially at the end of the closing, and we opted to not hold hands and pray, and uh, that was really helpful because it just, it, it was just a very intimate situation, you know. And so I got through that, and then I've continued to participate in meetings in Louisville, and, and I exclusively go to SA. Uh, primarily, I've been the only female there of recent, in the last few months. Um, there are actually three women that come there, and it's, you know, it's an adjustment, really, for me, because it's so new. And off and on through the years, there have been a few women who've come and went. And what I learned about myself by going to mixed meetings, and it, it was a necessity for me to survive, to learn good boundaries, things I didn't know before. And I learned a lot about myself. For example, I didn't realize that I'd been a predator. You know, I'm more of the Venus flytrap predator than a tiger, but, you know, in the end, I don't think it really matters to their victims. And... um <laughs> I also, you know, learned, like I said, I'd objectified men, and in my thinking and in the way the world teaches, that's something that men do towards women. And so, you know, learning to have good boundaries and learning it's okay for me if I don't feel okay to hug people, I don't hug them, particularly if I don't know them. And sometimes I shake hands if I'm not in a good place. Sometimes I just say, you know, let's do a high five today or fist bump or something. And if it's a newcomer guy, I just pretty much stay away from him. I'm pretty much the last person they really need to talk to. And I like to rescue and fix people, and so I can love people to death. And it's not good for me. So I usually say something along the lines, hey, I'm glad you're here, or something like that. And I hope you come back, or I just stay out of the way. Um, I don't give my phone number out to men. And, you know, I have some member numbers, but I keep it to business-type things. And most of my experience has been really positive. One funny one was, um, well, a funny thing that was slightly negative. We we had a, a picnic that we were saying goodbye to someone who was moving away. And so we were having a potluck picnic. And so... When I pulled up, there were some guys there, and I came and I brought my food, you know. So we had, like, you know, four coleslaw and something. (laughs) And I brought my dish, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. And so one guy goes, oh, there's Kathy. We should have put her in charge of this. And I'm like, "Uh, no, I'm not your mom, and I'm not your wife, so just knock off the chauvinist stuff, and, you know, we just eat what we brought, and it's going to be okay. And, yeah, we laughed about it. I think a sense of humor is really important. Um, And then I had uh, a really negative experience once. There were, like, five of us in a meeting, and this guy had been coming for a while, and I had been the only woman, like, literally for years. 
And we're sitting in the meeting, and he starts sharing, and he was like that he didn't believe in mixed meetings and that it wasn't okay. But don't take this personally, Kathy. I'm not talking about you. I'm like, so first you insult me, now you treat me like I'm stupid. You know what I mean? So, And he kept saying this over and over, and he kept saying, you know it's going to happen. You know, if we're in mixed meetings together, it's going to happen. And I was so angry, I literally wanted to punch him in the face at the meeting. I did have some self-awareness that that was probably a breaking of the traditions. But I was formulating in my mind, you know, what I wanted to say as a rebuttal. And God wisely and gratefully kept my mouth shut. And what happened in that meeting was really transforming for me because one by one, the other guys in the meeting shared what it meant to them to have a woman in the meeting and what they had learned and what it meant. And I never really heard them verbalize that directly. And, I, you know, time ran out, and I didn't get to share, which was good. It was a really good thing. And um, so that was really humbling, and it really gave me a sense of connection, and I felt really safe, and I was able... I see the men in S.A., as my brothers, and I don't want to cause my brothers to stumble, you know? So I am careful what I say, what I do, what I wear. I'm not paranoid about it. I am myself. And, um, you know, I also shared with my group one time because, you know, sometimes when we were getting invitations to um, conventions and things, there would be comments and either written or verbal about, you know, women shouldn't wear open-toe shoes or high heels or shorts or yada, yada, yada. And I was like, so one time in my meeting I said, you know, it's summertime and it's getting warm and I just need to share with you guys, could you please, if you wear shorts to the meeting, um, be aware that if you've got like wide pant legs and you sit, you know, I'm really grateful you're wearing underwear. I'm just going to say that (laughs) because I can see up your pants, you know, and so, and I had moved myself before, you know, and then, then I turn and then there's two guys sitting like that and they were really shocked to hear it from the other side. I, there seemed to be some perception that I wasn't having those kind of struggles and I just don't believe in trying to control people. I think, um, it's important to be respectful in how we dress and how we interact, but also I strongly believe the problem is in here and it's lust. And if I'm having a problem, it's my problem. I can close my eyes, I can leave, I can move, I can go call my sponsor. There's lots of things I can do. I have choices. But trying to fix and control and manage another person, that's part of my disease. And I have of the strong belief that we have a common problem and we have a common solution. And um, when I was asked to be on this panel, one of the things that just struck me and God really gave me a message with it was, we want to learn how to make women comfortable in meetings. And I just really spent time praying about that. And the message I have is recovery is not about being comfortable. It's about getting well. And I'm an oncology nurse, and where I work, I give chemotherapy, and when we have someone new that comes in and they've just seen the doctor and they get this diagnosis that they have uh, a terminal illness, in some cases we're hopeful we can cure it, but often it's, you know, and they're facing treatment. And then I'm the next person they see, they are not comfortable. I guarantee you they're not comfortable. Nobody is comfortable in their family and And I know that they're in pain and suffering. They do want the message I have. What are we going to do about this? And that's the same to me as SA, that, you know, we have a message and we have a solution. So when someone hurting comes in, I think strongly we need to meet them where they are. And as a woman, I don't need to be uh, rescued or treated with a big spotlight and make it all about me and being a woman. And I appreciate the um, intention, but I think, you know, the literature talks about being painstaking, which means taking pain. So to me, recovery for all of us is being willing to experience discomfort and pain. And I think that that is the pathway to growth, and it has been for me. And I have great respect for men. I'm very grateful because I just don't believe I would be alive without this program, and I thank you all for being here. And uh, by the way, that guy who did that in that meeting, like two weeks later, a group of us went out in support with one of our members who played in a band. And when we went out to eat there and sit and listen to the music, he sat next to me and asked me for my phone number because he wanted to talk to a woman because women are so much more relational, and he wanted a woman's perspective. 
And my answer was no. <laughs> and I just thought, this really takes a lot of audacity to, 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 to do all that. And that, that was a painful experience. Um, and one last thing I'd like to read is the quote that's on page 568 of the big book, the quote of Herbert Spencer, there is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. And that principle is contempt prior to investigation. So that that's what I would like to end with, and I appreciate by being here you're showing you're willing to investigate rather to have that contempt, and I appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks, Kathy. Hi, I'm Marsha. I'm a grateful sober sexaholic. Hey, Marsha. And I'm from Nashville. Um, and in Nashville, we do have two women's meetings and quite a large women's fellowship. However, when I came in, my the home group I chose was all men. So most of the meetings I went to were all men. And so some of my experiences with that is, um, first, the last two seats in the room to be filled are always the ones on either side of me. Um, second, um, there was always, always in the beginning, because I came in with so much shame that that nobody really wanted me to be there. And when people would share... I would wonder, are they sharing differently because I'm here? Do they wish I wasn't here so they could be more honest? Am I changing the meeting? Am I hurting these people by being here? It was all this, like, I'm so bad, I'm hurting this group of men that are trying to recover. And in that meeting, um, they, you know, luckily I picked this home group. I mean, it was just down the street from my house. That's why I picked it. And these men had some good recovery and good sobriety in there. And one of the men who had been longtime sober, at the end of every meeting, I think he, well, obviously he could see my shame. Um, he would make an effort to look me in the eye and say, keep coming back. And I clung to that because when I would start to think they don't really want me there, I would remember, oh, yeah, he does. I, I believe him. I believe that was was honest, that he really wants me to come back, and it had nothing to do with me being a woman. It had to do with he saw a suffering sexaholic. So I share that quite a bit because it's been very helpful to me, and I try to extend that to any newcomer that I um, interact with. Just please keep coming back. Even if you're not sober, keep coming back. Um, I've had wonderful experiences Um with men in, um, in not just my home group, but in all the meetings I go to, um, like in SA, I learned like men are people, (laughs) 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 that you're not objects, (laughs) that you have feelings, that the depth of men's feelings are as deep as mine. And I honestly, I didn't know that. I thought men had no feelings. Um, because my experiences were being, being treated callously by men. So my experience told me men had no feelings. But in the rooms, I, like, I not only heard the men's feelings, but I saw and felt their suffering when they shared. And it was eye-opening to me. And there's something about that, just being um, just completely honest, regardless of who's in the room, is that when uh, when someone else shares, even whether it's a man or a woman, um, if I had been objectifying you before, all that goes away because now I see this hurting person, and I can't abuse a person that's hurting like that. There's this intimacy that occurs with that vulnerability, and you know, then that person becomes my brother or sister that I want to support in recovery. Um, some of the um, experiences that I've had and that um, sponsees have shared with me that have not been very helpful in the rooms. Um, so this hasn't personally happened to me, but it has happened to sponsees where they go to a meeting and they're immediately shown to the S&N meeting down the room, down the <laughs> hall. So, you know, to just welcome, to welcome someone and then ask, you know, what are they looking for is very helpful. Um, because how many of those people just walked out the door then and didn't come back because they were too ashamed? Um, I 
uh, I would do some work, uh, outreach, 12-step work with women in other states. And um, so I, I work a lot with women that there aren't very many meetings in their area, and there definitely aren't women in their area. And there was one interaction that this woman called the number um, to find out the location of the meeting, and she was told that women couldn't come to their meeting. And and this woman, I was just, we were both heartbroken. She desperately needed a face-to-face meeting. And so I suggested to her, can you call them back and say, in the spirit of the fifth tradition and our primary purpose, would you allow me to come to two or three meetings? And and then if it's not working, I won't come back. And she called them, and I was amazed. They said yes, and just so grateful that um, that recovery was working in that meeting, that they reconsidered and let her come back to that meeting. Um the other the other things that I've seen in the meeting, and it's not just the meeting, it's the world. Um, but sexism is everywhere. If 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 you are if you have that defect outside of the rooms, you have it inside the rooms also. Um, but how I've experienced it, it in SA is a lot in service. So I've been in business meetings and intergroup meetings where the person leading the meeting um, has that defect and there'll be women in there that raise their hand or start to talk and and they're shut down or they're ignored and every single man in the room is is asked and encouraged to speak and the women are um almost discouraged to speak and it, i mean that's the way it is in in the world today i hope i'm hopeful that is changing but it happens in the rooms, and it's very discouraging because as a woman in SA, I don't want to be treated as a woman. I am a person. I am just a sick sexaholic that is here to recover. And if I'm treated special or asked, how can I help you or can we save you, um, that is detrimental to my recovery. I just want to be a person in the room like any other person. And I'll end with um, one of the... Like, just best experiences. I still, it just holds this warm place in my heart. So that home group that I joined that um, I became a part of and they became my brothers and they're still um, very special to me. Um, they did lots of fellowships things after the meetings and I always just assumed like, no, I can't do that. They would never ask me. Well, one night they asked me to go out to dinner with them after they just, and it wasn't a big deal either. Like, oh, we're going to eat. Why don't you come with us? And I, I could have fallen over. Like, they actually wanted me to go. And so I went and I still sat there kind of waiting. Like, they're going to say, oh, we're just joking. You should go home. <laughs> <laughs> but it was wonderful. And I felt part of the group and I didn't feel like I was there because I was a woman and it didn't feel weird. It was just, you know, I was part of the group and the group went out to dinner. So I went too. And, um, and then there were more experiences like that that followed. So the best way to welcome a woman is to treat her like a person and not any special specialness about her being of the female sex. So thank you for listening. Okay, we're running kind of short on time, so what I thought I'd do is uh, change the format, and uh, what what I'd like to do is throw the floor open for questions uh, and uh, ask you to give us a question and then let the panel respond to that question. So does anyone have a question about uh, women in their groups? Jim. Jim, sexaholic. Jim. Jim. I, I mean, I'd like to have a 30-minute session with y'all to talk about <laughs> stuff. Because I have no little to no experience, strength, and hope with women in meetings but I have a lot. I have a lot of curiosity mm-hmm. about it because I want to. I want to. Want to. I don't know. I just want to know. Um, I really appreciate your saying that if if it's a newcomer man, that you kind of just stay away. I mean that that makes sense to me, I, and I like that. Thank you for that. Um, 
And, and, and I feel real selfish because I'm going to be asking questions from about what y'all do to men. And the deal is, I mean, we got, we're surrounded, y'all are surrounded by us. It ought to be what y'all, what we do to y'all that I'd be, if I was more empathetic, but I'm going to be a little bit selfish and say, um, when you share, do you share about your acting out? I'm Kathy. I'm a sexaholic. Um, I think the principle there is that we share in a general way. So if I have, uh, our particular meeting doesn't open with people saying what their forms of acting out are. I've visited out of town where people do, and I participate in that in the spirit of just participation. I just don't share details. I don't get graphic. I don't. I don't go into detail. I talk to my sponsor about details and say whatever I need to say to my sponsor in the group, but I I just act as another member in person. And on the flip side of that, I remember being in a meeting a few years ago, and a guy next to me, he said something, and it was kind of off-color, kind of graphic. And then he stopped, and he said, oh, I'm so, and I appreciate it. He said, I'm so sorry. There's a lady in the room. I shouldn't speak this way. And I told him, I said, you know, I really appreciate that, but it's lust talk, and really you shouldn't speak that way to anybody in this room that way. And I appreciate he was trying to be respectful to me and, in a sense, making amends, I guess. But my point was, again, it's a common problem, a common solution. So, and by the way, the extra thing, as I do, my husband is also in SA, and we go to meetings together, and we kind of have a pact Say whatever you got to say in a meeting, if, if, especially if you're struggling or if it's something sobriety threatened, and we work it out later at home between us. And so, uh, I feel a lot of freedom to share, but I'm definitely not graphic. But if somebody were to ask me, I have no problem saying what my forms of acting out are, and, um, but I don't wear it as a badge or make a big deal about it either. Does that make sense? Yeah. I hope that helped to answer that. And I have one more comment. Sure. I, I have experienced feeling objectified by homosexual members. Mm-hmm. Do you come away often? I mean, they don't have to say anything, but you just right. got that feeling this guy's right mm-hmm. doing this to me. You know. Mm-hmm. I'm Sarah. I'm a sexaholic. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I sometimes uh, I have had a few times where men have made a very direct sexual comment to me. It is rare. I've been in SA for five years, only happened a handful of times, so it's not common. But um, one of the first times it happened, it was in my my new home group, and I, I had this really overwhelming feeling of sadness that I knew that this person was, I felt like this person was going to recover. And there would come a time when he would know that he said that to me. Like, he will always know that he said that to me. And um, I just felt sad. Um, I, I did want to have love and tolerance for him, which I did the best I could. Um, but obviously it wasn't appropriate to have a lot of contact with that person after that. But inside, I just felt like, you know, this person will recover. I feel like they're on the right path. This is a mistake. And they're just, I wish he hadn't done that. You know, that's all. But I think love and tolerance is a key there. I agree. Um, This is Kathy again, and what that brought up for me is I remember a time in a meeting and after we closed, and um, I felt safe with this person, and I just didn't see this coming. And when, you know, a hugged and greeting, or, you know, goodbye or something, and he literally ran his hands down the side of my body, I mean, from, you know, my shoulders to my hips, and I really was in shock, and it I really shut down. I mean, really, it was, I had PTSD, and it was just something that shut me down, and I didn't see it coming. And my disease, I turned things on myself, get angry with me, what did I do, that kind of thing, and it wasn't my fault. Also, my husband was in the room, and he happened to be this guy's sponsor, and I went into this whole fear of, what is this going to do to the group? If he, And I also had this fear of, if my husband sees this, he's going to think I did something wrong. And it was just really awkward and painful. And so what I do, or what I did in that situation is similar to what Sarah was just talking. Um, that was a mistake, and I just, I didn't confront him. I didn't say anything. I talked to my sponsor, talked to my husband. And it was an incredibly painful thing. But from then, I really 
um, increased my boundaries, let's say, and I, I didn't stop coming to meetings. I didn't stop speaking or saying hello to him, but I never put myself in a situation again for physical touch between us because it was really uncomfortable. And I, and my husband didn't see it and I didn't tell him who it was. And I just left it be the business and allowed God to work and the program to work for me to deal with my disturbance. And, uh, and I would echo that I've been coming to recovery since the year 2000. And 2001 is when I came in SA. And it, it's literally the number of times I've had a negative experience I could count on one hand. So, thank you. Marcia, sexaholic. So I'd echo that too. I've been in the program eight years and it's only happened a handful of times to me. Um, one, one time was a little scary because a man followed me to my car in the parking lot. And in that case, I just quickly got in and locked the door and left, even though he was mid-sentence. <laughs> Um, but yeah, boundaries is what, um, has worked for me in that situation and grace and and love because, you know, they're, they're sick. They, they're coming to that meeting because they want to get better. And then their addiction took over at some point. So, you know, they, um, they're just sick. Um, I will, I do want to share that, that I also am a predator and I had in the beginning lots of behaviors that I did not know. I was doing and the men in the program are the ones that called me out on it. Um, and it was eye opening to me the first time it happened, a man that, um, I felt safe with, um, I, I gave him a, I asked, you know, we, we had a hug before I left, um, a meeting and I thought it was okay, but he shared with me the next time that he saw me that, um, that it didn't feel like a sober hug to him on my part. And, um, and he said, he asked me what I think about that for a week and respond to him a week later. And I'm very glad that he had that boundary around it because I was full of rage and, um, just so much like, how could he think that? Like, I have no interest in him. And just all of this stuff came out. And, but after I calmed down and thought about it for a week and talked about it with my sponsor, he was absolutely right that that, um, I, I had some unconscious behaviors, um, that I didn't even know I had. And he helped me to see that. So a week later when I responded to him, I was able to thank him for bringing that to my attention and ask him, would you please point out anything else that, that I'm unaware of? Um, so I try to remember those things when a man is inappropriate in a meeting that I have been inappropriate in meetings and that I should extend that same care and love to them, um, hoping that they'll recover. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Scott. Scott. I've got some tools questions for you. Um, I've been in uh, AA for, it'll be this December, God willing, I get there, 40 years. And I remember when I first got into the program, I was 19, okay? <laughs> and, yeah, I'm serious. Everybody else in the program was a heck of a lot older than me. Mm-hmm. And I would go into meetings, and I know people would say, you know, I spilled more than you drank, boy. Mm-hmm. You know, I, first time I got drunk and blacked out, I was seven. Mm-hmm. So, so I had my time. You know? So, question one as far as that tool goes is, um, I'm sure you received kind of messages like you don't belong. Okay, so there's a question about tools there. How do you, you know, who do you use? How did you, I mean, you were the only one that got, the first woman there, you know, in the meetings. What the hell did you do? The other thing is, (laughs) seriously, the other question is, um, and uh, it's a little scary, but my mom was one of my abusers, and she would discipline us with a bullwhip. Mm-hmm. And so women scared the shit out of me. And a part of my predatory behavior was to get control of the relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you do with that fear? Mm-hmm. I'm Marcia Sexaholic. Um, yeah, I have some experience with both of those. So, um, the second question, what do I do with that fear? Um, I actually had a, a very intense um, confrontation with a man in, with a lot of sobriety in Nashville. And um, he had 
he had some defects with sexism and he in the middle of my sentence turned around and walked away and went and asked another man the same question that I was answering and and I um I thought about it for a few minutes and then uh after the he finished um in the hallway I confronted him and said when you walked away from me um like that in the middle of my sentence I felt disrespected and unheard and he blew up and started screaming at me. And of course I was filled with fear. Um, and we went the separate ways down the hall for about a 30 seconds, came back together. And he said, I apologize. I have a lot of abuse from my mother and that just triggered me into rage. And I took that out on you. And, um, it was actually a very healing exercise for us because we talked about that. I talked about how I felt unheard and how he felt attacked. And, um, it was very helpful. Um, but my, my new response to fear is to confront it. Um, I no longer run away from it. Um, I confront that behavior. And so I've talked about that and I forgot the first question. So I'll pass it on to one of the other ladies. Um, I'm Kathy, I'm a sexaholic. I think a couple examples I gave earlier, like in that other fellowship, my very last meeting there, when that guy got angry and hit the table and stuff, what I did there, I mean, I completely just shut down. And it was very early recovery for me. And what I did is I never went back. So um, when I'm not using the tools, my my uh, if denial doesn't work, avoidance is the next one, okay? <laughs> is, you know, avoid it and... Um, and I hope I don't get backed into a corner because then I can be like that, you know, injured animal who, you know, strikes back. But now, after some time in the program, um, fear. Well, and I will share another episode. Once I was at a convention, and it was late at night, and I went by the hospitality room to get something, you know, a snack or something. And this guy had engaged me in conversation a couple of times and I felt uncomfortable. So then I went in the hospitality room, got something, and the way this was, there was a big open area and there were some elevators, but there was some seating there. So when I went and, and I was alone out there, and when I went to the elevator, then behind me, this guy had laid down on the couch and hid there. And um, he tried to engage me in conversation. You know, I'm going in the elevator to my room. And so what I did is just turn on my heel and I went back into the hospitality room and I went to a man in SA and I said, could you please escort me out of here? There's a man that I feel like is preying on me. Please help me. And so asking for help, which um, sometimes you just, you're, you're still taking risk, you know, and I felt confident the person I approached, I didn't know well, but, you know, I, I felt safer with him than I did this situation. And um, and always, you know, praying, praying for the other person, like putting them in the third and the fourth step prayer, talking to my sponsor. And with my sponsor, I'm real. I, I will express any anger, rage, fear, tears, whatever, and just let her have it, and I'm the same with God. And um, mostly what I've had to watch with, with boundaries, is less someone being aggressive with me then um, I can sense um, the dependency stuff. It's like tentacles emotionally just reaching out that are going to suffocate me. And, and early on in recovery, someone shared with me, oh, you're the understanding woman in the back of the big book. And I thought, wow, that's awesome. <laughs> and then I read the story, and I thought, well, that's not really awesome at all. <laughs> so I have to guard a lot against being the understanding woman. I mean, I've done some spiritual gift inventories in mine. Number one is mercy, which is real handy when you're a nurse and dealing with cancer patients. It's not so great when dealing with addicts. So sometimes I have to go against my own nature to be so friendly or so understanding. And sometimes I will direct men to other men to talk to. I'll say, you need to, to talk to another man about that. I'll pray for you. And so I just kind of try to, to keep my boundaries and, and to work that. Thank you. I would like to ask you to excuse me because I need to go do some things. The church has asked us to do some maneuvering because they're having a funeral. And so I need to go to attend to that. 
Uh, we have some more time here and uh, time for some more questions. And I'd like to ask Sarah to take over the moderation uh, part of the meeting and uh, to close the meeting. And uh, I'm sorry I have to uh, eat and run, but okay. I, Thank you. I appreciate your comments very much. Thank, Thank you. Thanks, Paul. Okay. Kevin, grateful for covering sex holiday. So um, I hope this is not crosstalk, but um, I was one of the pair of shoes that uh, Sarah was staring at. And, you know, I was staring at her shoes just as much because I was so uncomfortable. And you know, the reason I was uncomfortable was because um, you know I had never had um, a non-sexual relationship with women. I was very comfortable around women, but every single relationship I had with women turned sexual. It, it, it might start as a friendship, but I would push it sexual. So, and I was also uh, uncomfortable from shame um, because you know I, at that point in my program, I realized that I had victimized a lot of women. Um, and then um, I heard the first step, and I related so much to that first step. And and the point of this is is that I kind of wanted to get a positive question in here because some of the questions have been kind of negative. But you know, I got so much out of that. That helped me so much figure out how to have like a normal relationship with a woman rather than a sexual relationship with a woman. And it helped me identify um, with women as. People, I think I think Marsha, you shared that. So, what are what are some of the positive things you've gotten out of attending meetings with men? Um, I'm Sarah. I'm a sexaholic. Hey, Sarah. Um, so, most of the meetings I go to are are mostly men. Um, there are a few women now, but um, I enjoy having. Um, maybe much like you said, kind of a more normal relationship with men, but also seeing men differently. Um, I I think our other panel member, Marcia, shared that she was able to, you know, see men differently. And for me, um, I, I, I thought about all men sexually. I can remember my therapist telling me how you're not really going to be able to be friends with the ladies at church when you're looking at their husbands in a sexual way and they might not see it but they'll always sense something from you because you do that to everybody and I wanted to say no I didn't but (laughs) (laughs) that wouldn't have been entirely true so um, it was uh, hard at first but really very healthy for me to um, you know, get to know men in a, in a safe environment where, um, that wasn't appropriate and that wasn't reciprocated. Um, I, I also, um, want to say that, um, I had a sponsor that, uh, definitely did not agree with, um, Exclusion. So when we did start the women's meeting, I wasn't supposed to be a part of a, a meeting that excluded men, and I was reminded that men welcomed you and helped you. Um, and so, uh, so I, I I think that it says somewhere in our literature that sex uh, Sexaholics Anonymous is a fellowship for men and women. There's really nothing in there that talks about women's only meetings or men's only meetings. So I do feel like um, the fellowship from the beginning was intended for us to learn how to be around each other. Thanks for letting me share. I'm Kathy, I'm a sexaholic. Um, I think getting a lot of insight into myself and learning to heal and, and again, learn the gift of boundaries. I mean, it was a necessity for me to be able to be in all a meeting and be the only woman. It was of necessity for me to um, do that. And it was, you know, a necessity for the group as well. And just, you know, like Marsha talked about, getting to hear men be vulnerable and open and honest about their pain or previous abuse and their feelings and kind of stuff. To me, it is a priceless gift. And I don't want to dishonor my brothers. And so it's created a form of intimacy I haven't found anywhere else in my life. And I'll be honest with you, whether it's family, work, or church, honestly, SA is the place I feel the safest. 
I've heard some really graphic stories. And But my thing here is when I come here, I know I belong, and we have the same illness, and it, it could be me too someday, the things I hear that I haven't done. And I just... Um, I, it's just it's just such a gift to participate in, and this is where I feel the most that I belong in my life. This is my family. We speak the same language, we understand, and I think that common um, common problem, common solution is what binds us together. And so this is my chosen family, and and I'm not saying that to be trite or, or light. I can't connect with my family. My family is so affected by various addictions that I can't have the quality time and the connection there that I can have in this fellowship. And that's been a great gift. And um, I'm very grateful for it. Thank you.